You're listening to Lessons from the Boardroom, a business podcast with Kevin Minton, CEO of Chief Executive Boards. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Minton, and welcome to our podcast. I'm excited about our podcast today, where we'll be hosting a conversation with our guest, Aero Pakat, who is the president of a Chicago-based company called BarChart. Located in the heart of the financial district, BarChart has evolved into a global financial technology leader, providing market data and services to global financial, media, and commodity industries. Our guest today is an industry veteran who started out as a software developer and an IT specialist after graduating with degrees in economics and a master's in computer science from Northwestern. You may detect a little accent given that Aero is a descendant of the country of Estonia, but who am I to talk about accents? Please join me in welcoming our guest, Aero Pakat. Welcome to our podcast, Aero. Thank you, Kevin. Hey, Aero. It's, it's a pleasure having you today, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you about your journey uh, with Bar Chart up to this point. And some of the successes and learnings that you had along the way. But before we get started into discussing your business journey, just so our listeners can kind of get to know you a little bit better, I'd like to ask you, if you would, just please share a little personal background about yourself. Sure. I grew up mostly in Chicago on the north side in Rogers Park. And then I went away for high school to a school in Rhode Island, returning for college uh, and my undergraduates from the University of Chicago. A few years later, I went up north to Evanston for my master's. So I kind of have, there's an, an informal rivalry in Chicago. So I'm on sort of both sides of that aisle. Um, but after college, I uh, started at Bar Chart. While in college and even during high school, I'd already started working somewhat seriously and substantially. So by the time I was graduating, college, even though I was 22 at the time, I had seven years of professional IT experience behind me. And so this was 1998. I started at Bar Chart. And uh, at the time, it was basically two other uh, developers and uh, one other person who was uh, working uh, in the support and uh, office management roles. Uh, so it's a very small firm. Essentially, I was the fourth person in the firm. Uh, then, in uh, and we started growing in 2000. Uh, we really sort of kicked in um, and reorganized the firm. Uh, that was also the time when we went from being just a delayed and end of day data provider of commodities data. We added equities. We added real time. We really beefed up our commercial website, barchart.com, growing that into a leading financial portal. And so that's sort of how our uh, business sort of started, weathered uh, the dot-com crash of 2000, weathered 9-11, and then, you know, continued growing uh, over the years. And so let's, let's get into that. Let's talk a little bit about that journey uh, up to this point. So far, Aero, tell me about your business. What is it that Bar Chart actually does in your own words? And uh, then we'll kind of uh, talk about, you know, how did you how did you kind of get started in this business? What was it that really led you to get uh, get your feet into this company? 
So bar chart is an information data and content aggregator focused on the equities, futures, and commodity market. Essentially what that means is we aggregate exchange and physical commodity data. We provide uh, internet widgets, tools, analysis on that data. We have products for retail traders, professional traders, agricultural professionals, and brokers. At the core, we have the raw data that comes in, and then there is a extensive set of platforms and services that we build on top of that data. And so, in a very broad stroke, we have sort of a B to B component of our business and the B2C component of our business. The B2C component of our business includes the barchart.com website, where you can go and get simple things like a stock quote or chart, along with additional serious analysis. We can tell you, you know, your options are, you know, skewed out of bounds in terms of where they should be priced. We have various screeners and portfolio analysis tools and things like that. We also have a front-end product, which is, even though it's designed for the individual user, is both a retail and a professional product called Commodity View, where we provide real-time pricing of global commodities. Uh, we have global access to physical data, um, so we can tell you what the price of corn is at a very specific location in Iowa, or what the price of gas is at the local uh, at the local gas station, and then we have a series of uh, inherently sort of B two B products, which are focused on one of two segments: either raw data, and we have all of our content available uh, cloud based on demand, and then we also have a series of financial tools that we provide for brokerage firms, media websites. Uh, private management for or private wealth management firms, so that when you log in as an individual to a third party site, we provide that underpinning content and data. And over the years, we've sort of added on these segments as we go along. Okay. Wow. That sounds very interesting, Arrow. And um, so it, this has been sort of an evolution over time. Uh, it sounds like, and it sounds like just from reading your educational background in economics and and computer science that this is a, a perfect fit for you. Please share with us sort of how you got started in this business. How, what was it that attracted you towards going to work for Bar Chart? Well, when I was finishing college, uh, this was 1998, where I think Back then, if you fogged a mirror, you could get a job. So I wasn't really concerned about my prospects for future employment the same way as perhaps folks are today or have been in the last few years. Uh, so I had a fair amount of, let's say, personal risk leeway. And so my the general focus that people have with econ degrees coming out of the University of Chicago Whereas, you know, you go into the investment banking route and then, you know, hit the MBA route and then and so forth and so on. That was option one. Option two was what I had from my sort of called the computer science background was I could have gone into uh, pure software development. 
And I decided that that's kind of what I wanted to do more, but I also wanted to parlay all of the other things that I knew. And joining a micro small company like Barchard at the time uh, really allowed me to expose uh, to the others, not just that I could write some software code, but I could also do you know, all of the other things that I knew how to do within the IT infrastructure world, as well as allow um, my knowledge of, you know, the, of, from the economic side to also uh, play into the sort of the, the, the content that we were creating as opposed to just the creation of it itself. And I really believe that that is uh, one of the things that even for uh, young folks today that, you know, it's not just if you know how to develop software, you also have to know what it is that you're developing and why you're developing it. So you started out straight out of college working for bar chart, it sounds like, and, and now you yes. have evolved uh, as an owner and, and the president of, of bar chart. And so when, yes. when did that evolution take place? When, when did you assume the helm and let's, 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 let's get the present date here of, of sort of how you got to the leadership role. Of, of the company? The firm was reorganized in 2000 um, as a third of third of third partnership. And then the original founding member passed away in 2005. And that's when we, uh, you know, when Andy and I really uh, sort of took the, the reins over uh, from the firm. Okay. And so, so you've so sort there, of been, have, have you been the president since 2005? Actually, technically I was the president since 2000, but I was sort of the shadow president back then, but since 2005, yes. So gotcha. either, either 15 or 20 years, however you want to count that. Gotcha. Okay. So throughout the 15 or 20 years that you've been the president of Bar Chart, what's been the biggest challenge you've faced along the way so far? So COVID notwithstanding, because that is something that I think every, everyone I think has some issues there in terms of relevancy during the times of COVID. The other biggest challenge that we faced was the 2008-2009 uh, financial crash. And the reason why that for us, I don't want to say it was more pertinent than COVID because we don't know what the uh, lasting effects of this are. But in that particular case, that was a direct hit in the exact sector that I am that I'm in, right? And so we were providing uh, data and content and all these services to a lot of individuals. The advertising revenue on our retail site uh, dried up almost instantaneously. The a lot of our uh, customers started experiencing liquidity issues. We could see that in our uh, you know, net receivables where firms that would always pay us 30 days suddenly became 60, 90, 120 days. We could see the firms that were successfully positioned uh, to make it through that crisis and we could see the ones that weren't. And so that was a learning experience also for us and to some degree, we, that, the survival there, I mean, I don't want to use the word luck too much, but we were lucky in the sense that we were diversified. 
And so the firms that we were providing data for that were hyper-focused on a single thing, if that thing was targeted by the economic downturn, they went under. So in the other words, like, that, like, like, like maybe the housing market. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I mean, or e- e- even in today's market, for, for instance, right? I mean, if you're a restaurant, you've got a problem, you know, right now. Um, if you are, you know, Zoom, you don't, right? So right. you just you end up, you know, being successful or not successful in times of crises, almost by, you know, a serendipitous circumstance. Uh, but we learned that, um, and we saw what we had that went for, uh, was going first, we, we were diversified. So not only were we diversified in the B2C versus the B2B space, our target audiences uh, are also uh, diversified. So for instance, we have a large presence in Canada. Well, we acquired a firm up there, um, and... We have our presence in the commodity markets. So there's the agricultural space and the energy space, and those are separate. And then we have our focus on uh, our, our, our products for the uh, retail equity space. So people who are looking at stock loans. So if the stock market is crashed and no one's looking at that, that part of your business can go away. But people still need to eat. So the commodity markets on the agricultural side, you know, we're... Uh, you know, doing fine. And we, ha- we just launched actually a series of products into that space uh, right around the time of the crash. And so that was uh, successful in uh, keeping us uh, afloat. And then there's also the energy markets, which like right now are doing very badly. But the energy markets, you know, come and go. And so, again, if, you're, if you have your, I guess, the proverbial all of your eggs in one basket, then you can have a problem in certain situations. And in other times, if you have uh, a diversification in not just the product, but also your target audiences or the the industries that you're servicing, then that's you know that 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 can that can save you. And that that's what happened to us in 2008 and 2009. So it sounds like uh, maybe having a little diversity in your portfolio is sort of what got you through the the challenge. Were you get were yeah. you guys continuing to invest in that diversification during that downturn or how did that play out? Yeah, we did. So um, if I remember correctly, the revenues between 08 and 09, the six month balance sheet, the the income statement was the percentage was as close to uh, zero as a change as, as, as you could possibly have. I think it was like $40 or $50 on, you know, I don't forget how many millions we had in terms of revenue back then. But I mean, it was about as even, Stephen, as you could ever possibly get. Uh, so we took that as a sign that what we were doing was a, was good. And the other thing was that was not a downturn that lasted a particularly long amount of time. It shook a bunch of firms out. It allowed us to make an acquisition uh, after that. And so we did, in fact, continuously invest hiring new talent and hiring and, and acquiring uh, former competitors that have become insolvent. You know, that takes a lot of courage to continue to make investments during a downturn, uh, especially one that was as scary as the 2008, 2009 financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as deep as that one cut and, and hit, 
the economy. And uh, so I applaud you for, you know, continuing and having the foresight to make investments during, uh, during that, well, uh, that, that crisis. One of the advantages that we always had was being tightly privately held. So there's only two owners. There's no venture capital. There's no overarching board or investor group that is looking to drive revenue up and get out in three years or five years. There's no ulterior motives by uh, outside parties. We have no debt. We uh, live in a space where we don't have to carry inventory. We live in a space where we don't need a line of credit. We don't have to have revolving revenue or uh, cash flow coming in uh, due to uh, idiosyncrasies in our space. And so everything we do has always been sort of a mark-to-market type uh, thing. So at any point in time, we have very low liabilities. Our biggest liability that I can think of right now is probably the lease on our on our office space, and that's what two years out. I mean, it's so it's not nothing particularly huge. Yeah. Uh, so we don't we don't have any major pieces of equipment that we have to buy. In fact, the best thing that happened to us was the cloud. We were a very very early adopter of the cloud, and the nice thing about the cloud was that suddenly capital expenditures went away, and I could bill it out as a service. You know. And I didn't have to even amortize any of that. So that was one of our sort of biggest accounting hiccups that we had, you know, pre-cloud was, you know, you buy expensive servers, you know, suddenly you have this seven-year depreciation schedule on a server that lasts three years, you know, and you're stuck in some IRS loophole. Yeah. And so the cloud, so we, so we were an early adopter for that. That reduced our costs, allowed us to, uh, grow and adjust up and down based off of demand. So it sounds like it allowed you to scale, uh, or, you know, like you said, flex, yeah. at least flex when you needed yep. to, which was, uh, you know, sort in my opinion, a, a great learning out of going through that experience. And, and it sounds like that may have sort of forced you guys into that relationship of converting from servers to the cloud space uh, when, when you guys were faced with that situation. So you came out on the other side of this with, you know, probably a stronger position. It sounds like what, what other key changes or learnings did you take away from going through that experience era? The, all of our investments and all of our, uh, let's say the risks that we took were calculated. And so we've always reinvested in the firm in a small or medium scale, depending on, you know, what, what we needed to do. And that includes hiring key talent. So the last few years, we've been uh, bringing on veteran industry professionals into our, uh, into our uh, fold, uh, mostly on the management side. Uh, allowing us to uh, look at uh, other markets and other uh, segments that we haven't been able to focus on. Uh, we've always been careful not to overextend ourselves. Uh, we have a diversified uh, set of customers, not just in the industries that they're in, but also in their size. 
So we are not uh, beholden to one customer that accounts for 50% of our revenue. And if something happens to them, then we have an issue. So we've, we've played it smart and safe to some degree, but aggressively safe, or maybe safely aggressive. Yeah. And so when you embarked upon that with the business model itself, now that you positioned it that way and you, you've got it set up that way, I, I assume that that gave you an opportunity that once we came out of this financial crisis that you could then capitalize and be one to go on the offense and start to grow based upon that business model. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we, uh, we made a couple of acquisitions subsequent to that. Um, acquiring uh, a firm out of Canada and acquiring a product set uh, from another firm. Uh, we, you know, increased our, uh, our hires. Uh, we've expanded our locations. So everything that we've uh, done since, uh, we've expanded relationships with uh, agents in Europe uh, and and uh, and beyond. So we've we've definitely uh, used that as a springboard uh, to to move forward. So you've had a, a sort of a catalyst event after the financial crisis uh, that's helped your company to grow. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about now what's been your biggest success since you've been running the company. There were two events. One of them happened actually before, which was in 2006. There was a um, series of, and, and strange enough, uh, the, the, the underpinning product wasn't even electronic. It was a paper product. But there were a series of acquisitions that we made back then that really allowed us to sort of stabilize uh, and deal with a large customer base and a large and and, and, a, and a reasonable revenue flow that allowed us to invest in other products. The other biggest successes that we've had have all been starting or being in the, I don't want to say being in the right place at the right time is kind of cliche-ish because you have to take advantage of that. But we started an agricultural division. That came about because we were country forced into it. One of our customers was acquired. And so we said, fine, we can do what they're doing. But we were lucky in the sense that we had just brought on an individual who was essentially designated for a different role at the, when he was brought on, but was perfect to start and take this division and, and grow it. And so we had recently acquired the talent that was critical to building up a new division. Um, and we've had that happen uh, in many cases where we have either recently adopted a new technology or brought on a key individuals right before something happens where we need to adapt and move uh, forward in a slightly different direction. And had it not been for that new technology or that key individual hire, we wouldn't have been able to do that as quickly and as efficiently as we were able to do so uh, at, because of that. So let's let's just dive into that a little bit, uh, Arrow. One of the things that you mentioned was that acquisition that sort of allowed you guys to stabilize and then invest in, in other products. As we all know, hitting critical mass is, you know, is, is certainly the key 
And that must have been a, a tremendous turning point for you guys. So tell tell me more it, about that. It was we. Um, it was a it was a firm that had uh, serious structural issues internally, but had a very nice cash flow, which we were able to go in and essentially merge everything that they were doing onto our platforms. Uh, it was not a uh, easy. Uh, let's say transition. There was a lot of work, uh, but it was uh, it was a, a reasonably handsome payoff at the beginning, which allowed us to uh, reinvest that uh, cash flow into other parts, and then, like for instance, into the agricultural division that we started after that was funded to some degree by by the first acquisition. So, Aero, you know, just take me back. What was it that led you towards that what what can what can you say how, if you had to trace back what was it that led you to identify that as an opportunity to contribute well, towards your towards your success funny thing again right place right time so <laughs> literally literally there were two firms that were potential uh, acquirers of this and a month prior to that, I had started the acquisition process of the other firm. And so when they were looking to sell, the two phone calls that they could make, the first guy couldn't call them back because they were being uh, they were on uh, silence mode because we were in the final stages of closing, closing that uh, acquisition. So we had two back-to-back acquisitions. And the first one wasn't even that large. But what it did was it, it, it forced the, us to be the only buyer uh, in that market. And again, the timing was 30 days. Wow. One, 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 one deal closed in April and the other one closed in May. Well, we all get a little bit of luck along the ways. Yep. And, uh, and, and the other half of the equation is just showing up. So uh, it sounds like you guys did the right things at the, yep. like you said, the right things at the and, right time. Yeah. And, and it, it, some of it is luck. Uh, you, you have to be, how would I say it? You have to be good enough to be on the on the court to be playing the game. But once you're there and you practice enough, then sometimes you take a shot that eh, most people wouldn't make, but you just get lucky and it goes in the basket. <laughs> and so, so it is. It, 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 it's 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 a it's part partly both, and and being able to take that risk um, at the right time, but also the being given the opportunity to take that risk, you know, is, is the luck part. Yeah. So Aero, what is it that, uh, I asked this question of, of everyone, what is it that you believe that makes some people successful while others struggle? It's risk tolerance. The risk part that people see, um, and what they, how much they can, um, sort of stomach and how well they stomach it and what their perceptions of uh, the actual world is. Um, I think that's what it, I think that's, that's where you said. Obviously the basics of hard work and, and so forth, but there's a lot of people who are very hard workers and who cannot, uh, because of a personal, uh, for personal reasons, risk their personal livelihood or their, uh, other or other parts of their life 
in order to do something. Those might make great entrepreneurs, but they aren't necessarily great entrepreneurs. There are people who are willing to work very hard, are very smart, very capable, but they just don't want to uh, carry a lot of personal risk. There's other people who take too much risk uh, or misestimate their, you know, where they're at, and then they fail. And so it's a question of how much risk can you take, both personally and how much can you offload. Uh, a lot of firms, a lot of individuals are very successful by offloading risk to venture capital or other investor groups. So how, how, they, how they balance that, everyone has a different uh, way of doing it. But it's the individuals that are able to digest and manage the risk properly and then move forward on that. You know, that's the, I've interviewed a lot of people, and that's the first time I've heard anybody bring that up as what uh, what they think makes people some people successful and others. But it's it's so true uh, because not everybody has the stomach for being an entrepreneur uh, or for business ownership. It's it's you know, it's a sexy word to be a business owner, right? But once people truly understand what that means and, you know, what you have to sign for and the risk that you have to take and the liabilities that you're under. And, you know, some people have their all their personal assets tied to it and so forth. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot to take on. And a lot of people don't yeah. understand that. Yeah. I like, uh, you know, not to, you know, quote unquote, beat the dead COVID horse. But a great example of that is a lot of people who own restaurants actually have personal guarantees on the rents. And so that's going to be something that's going to play out interestingly when large cities like New York shut the restaurants down permanently, essentially, that's what it looks like it's going to happen. Uh, there's going to be individuals, there's going to be a large number of personal bankruptcies kicking in because of that, because of the personal guarantees on on an event that they have no control over. Whereas other firms, you know, you're hidden, you're, you have the uh, umbrella of the, the ink protecting you. And that uh, is going to be uh, an interesting you know, phenomenon going forward. We're going to see that in the next six months to a year to see how that, how that plays out. A lot of people don't realize that in many cases, very small businesses, banks, the loans are personally guaranteed. The uh, rents are personally guaranteed. The mortgages are personally guaranteed, which is something that large corporations don't usually have to deal with. Yeah. Well, uh, Arrow, so going forward now, what makes you optimistic about the future of Bar Chart? So far, so good. I think that's that's where we're at. Um, the key that we have is staying relevant in, in changing times. And so uh, with the COVID situation, we've managed to stay relevant. Uh, there's always uncertainty. Um, back in February and March, we were we prepared for it from a sort of internal infrastructural standpoint. And the key is to align your products and services uh, for the current conditions of the markets. Sometimes you can do it, sometimes you can't, right? Uh, so like I said, sometimes you know, you're lucky and you end up like Zoom that, you know, takes off because, you know, everyone's now using them. Um, we happen to be in a segment where when we started having food shortages and uh, sort of structural problems there, we sort of saw some of our business-to-business customers get skittish. Um, at the same time, the retail markets have taken off. 
uh, in the financial space. All of these individuals, all these millennials that had used to, you know, I don't know what they used to do, play video games or whatever. Now they're all sitting on Robinhood and buying fractional shares of Tesla, but that's pushed the markets up. It's pushed a lot of new individuals into the retail markets. So we have seen tremendous growth um, in usage and in revenue on our, uh, the, the barchart.com website. Uh, so a lot of things are sort of, uh, you know, shaking out right now. The thing that makes me optimistic is a little pessimistic to some degree is that there are going to be firms that don't, don't weather this storm. And so I don't want to sound like a vulture over, you know, looking for good scraps, but you know, the next six months to a year are going to show which firms were financially sound to begin with going into the, uh, into this and which firms were, you know, unstable already had issues. And there might be some interesting targets of acquisition as we come out of this. You know, the funny thing about it is I think we, a lot of companies got lured into the fact that we had several, several years of good times, you know, and in and, and January, February, everyone was just about in every sector off to a great start. And, you know, projecting to have at least as good of a year, if not a better year than than last year. So 2020 was actually shaping up to be a, a fairly good year for, for most businesses out there. And that tends to create a false sense of confidence in a lot of businesses, especially over time. I've known several companies out there that have, uh, during the course of leading up to this event of the COVID event that they, they got a little comfortable and they levered themselves, uh, making, you know, making investments and buying buildings and adding on to buildings and, you know, maybe taking some risks that they wouldn't normally have taken under average circumstances. But I think that given the the longevity of time that a lot of people or not a lot of people, but several, several companies out there may have positioned themselves uh, un, unadvantageously to, to weather a storm like that. And you're exactly right. It's, it's going to create, it's going to create some opportunities. Uh, and I think your company is one of those that's, that's actually, done pretty well from what I understand in conversation with you. It's done pretty well through this situation, right? Correct. But that's because, again, luck, we happen to be an essential service because financial services and, you know, I mean, on a lot of different levels, we were deemed an essential service. We have, you know, we, we, we are in an industry that we provide an essential product for most of our customers. Going forward, again, you know, like, like you said, Firms got loosey-goosey with their costs. Even we did to some degree. We were hosting a conference. Uh, the last few years, we've had three, four, five, close to 500 people at one point attending this conference. And so that was supposed to be in May, but we had pre-ordered all of this, uh, all of the, you know, the, 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 the swag and stuff. And so I was looking at actually in the office yesterday staring at boxes of t-shirts that say, you know, Commodity Exchange 2020. I'm like, well, okay, but these aren't going to go anywhere, you know. So things like that happen, you know. 
That being said, I got a pretty nice backpack out of the deal. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, but going forward, you know, again, you know, we, we happen to provide an essential product for the firms that were, uh, that, that need our data and our content. We are, we don't, let's say, I don't don't want to say that we are the low cost provider, but we don't make cost an issue either. So we're not 10 times more expensive than our competitors. And we, the service that we provide is outstanding in terms of quality and service. And so everything that we do is well positioned to go into uh, a, a pandemic crisis like this for the firms that we provide. Again, most of our customers, not all, but most of our customers tend to be, uh, at least on the B2B side, tend to be uh, essential style type businesses. So we're talking about uh, a large number of firms that are in the food industry, uh, up and down the entire uh, chain. So from producers to, uh, let's say, first round buyers to brokers to transportation firms to and and providers of uh, of you know of retail of retail food heavy on the, more on the grain side than on the meats. Uh, we have some energy customers, but not as many, and so our exposure there wasn't isn't as bad. And the energy markets have completely dropped off. Uh, demand has just gotten strange, but that'll come back. Uh, so there's you know some opportunity there for us. Uh, and so again, you know, all of the things that we're doing are are for firms that um, are in the sort of the core uh, infrastructure of, of let's say, global financial and, and, and commodities world, which, happens, which, which still needs to exist. We're not um, a discretionary product, per se. Yeah. Well, Arrow, thank you so much for sharing a bit about yourself and the journey that you've been on with your company, the ups, the downs, the challenges, the successes that you have seen along the way how you made your way through them and what you anticipate uh, going forward. It's just been a, a wonderful conversation with you. And we're about out of time and, and I'll wrap this up arrow. Uh, so I want to just ask you, where is the best place that our listeners can go to connect with you and learn about you and, and learn about bar chart? Well, the barchart.com website is probably the best um, to see what the retail offering that we have is. Um, you can also go to, uh, if you go to barchart.com slash solutions, that's where our B2B uh, information is. Also, I can always be reached by email. So my first name is E-E-R-O at barchart.com. Very good, Eero. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Our guest has been Eero Pakat, uh, the president of, of barchart.com, located in in the heart of Chicago, Illinois. And uh, it's been just a, a real exciting conversation, Eero. Thank you for sharing everything that you've uh, been through with us. And I look well, forward for to uh, my pleasure. We hope that we can get you back on another podcast again uh, here real soon. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, Eero. Well, thank you and have a great day. We look forward to reconnecting with you again soon. The Lessons from the Boardroom podcast is sponsored by Chief Executive Boards. It's lonely at the top, but that doesn't mean you need to go it alone. We've got your back. 
At Chief Executive Boards, you have access to business best practices, insights, and resources that can help you eliminate the stress, anxiety, and pitfalls of running a business. Whenever you're ready, here's how we can help. Number one, get a copy of Kevin's book, In Search of Balance, The Business Owner's Guide to Building a Business and a Life at chiefexecutiveboards.com slash book. Number two, attend a Chief Executive Boards event in your area to find out if CEBI can help you. For a list of upcoming events in your area, go to chiefexecutiveboards.com slash events or call 864-527-5917.